Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Bijou. Let's get political. Political. Please explain. Flexing the democracy muscle. We cannot succumb to the laziness. Get informed. Get fit. Do you want Labour's energy? It's time to flex your democratic muscles, pals. <laughs> Let's get political with your hosts, Sky Riggs and Stacey June. Welcome to the second ep of Let's Get Political. I'm Sky Riggs, the founder of Why Vote. And I'm Stacey June, the founder of myself. We really need to quickly tell you about how much well you're new to podcasting and you hate that we've used you saying that for your intro but now it's become a bit of a joke so we hope you can get along (laughs) and do guys let's get political i crit my whole body just like caves in when i hear that but then i also like dancing to the music so it's pretty cool it's It's pretty cool it's all good if you listen to last week's set we're very grateful that you're here we're excited that you are interested in flexing your political muscle Uh, the election is obviously something that's evoking a lot of conversation around our society but also within ourselves i think yeah and I think there's that tension of like, oh, do I just switch off? Because it's also a lot of noise. But a lot of noise that doesn't seem to affect us. <laughs> yes. Like, have you ever seen a young person talking about politics on the news? Good point. But today we're going to talk about is democracy working for us as a system or, you know, is it us? Is there something that we're not doing right? So basically, is it you or is it me? (laughs) Is it you or is it me? (laughs) Uh, Before we even, and I find that conversation fascinating because you know, obviously there's a lot that's changed in our society from when democracy was first, you know, decided that that's how we'd run our country. Mm -hmm. We have opinions and social media and the fast nature of it, which is something you taught me, which we'll talk about today, because I think we expect everything to happen so quickly. And what you've explained to me is that that can't happen in democracy the way that it's originally set up. So I think you need to give us a bit of a snapshot of what democracy is and how it's supposed to play out. So I reckon the thing about this, and this is how I started out, we all have a bit of a vibe of what democracy is, but we don't really necessarily have a really tight grasp on what it is. Well, you just talk about politicians, maybe if you're a little bit more advanced or into it, you'll talk about policies or at least Mm. uh, issues. Mm. Um, And then you kind of talk about parties, but the actual foundation of how this all works, which Mm. is democracy and something you're super Mm. passionate about, is not something that I've ever remotely been interested in looking into. It's just something that's kind of there, like grandma in the corner or, <laughs> you know, that that weird statue that yeah. your mum's had forever and you don't know where it came from, but it's just always going to be there. Yeah, I know. And I think that's the scary thing. I actually have a good friend that I studied with from Venezuela and I was talking to him. They've obviously just been through. A few- you just name drop. Like you, you're such a worldly person. Like sky <laughs> flies all over the world doing all of these. What do you do? And they're like, <laughs> 
you know, like special courses run by the UN and it's not even a course. What is it? Like it's like some a special name. Well, it's kind of funny. This particular one um, I did online and it was a course on community organising, which is a whole other thing. It's like how do you get people involved in stuff? Right. And because I was working on how do you get young people involved in voting and democracy, they partnered me with this guy who was working on the same thing. And I'm like, oh, it's so bad in Australia. Like young people aren't voting. And he's like, yeah. And like they've been taken over by an authoritarian government and who are like f- at the time refusing to hold elections. And is that kind of like communist Kind of, yeah. yeah. And so actually, just in the last few days, there's been a coup. But like it's been really, for the last few years, a really serious situation in Venezuela. And Australia's one of the strongest democracies in the world. And Venezuela is literally one of the worst. And right. so what was interesting about speaking to him was he was saying he remembers as a child that they did have a strong democracy and that it wasn't a thing that went through his head that it could be any different. And their systems of government, there's a whole lot of other factors that you can't, it's not comparing apples and apples, but what really struck me was how he said, you know, he felt the same. And then in over 15 years that had completely deteriorated and, I, what kind of resonated with me is how we kind of feel like democracy is always going to be there to protect us. But I think the interesting part, even a step before that, and I know I'm mm. going to keep trying to bring yeah, you no. back a step because I don't even know what a good and bad democracy is. You yep. need to explain to us what is it supposed to look like yep. and what is, in his words, a bad democracy. Sure. So I think sometimes the easiest way to think about it is, so there's kind of four key pillars to a liberal democracy, which is what we have in most Western countries. And you need to explain that liberal isn't the party. No, not, it's not the party. It's like, the meaning um, of the word. Yeah. So, and so there's four key areas and basically it's power. So we define and limit the power of our government, of our judiciary, that kind of thing. So, you know, we have a constitution, we have separation of powers. Which is like a book, right? (laughs) It's kind of like a set. Yeah, it's kind of like a rule book. Yeah. And it's there to protect our civil liberties. And so I think sometimes a good way to understand this is, for example, you know, our courts are separate and can't be heavily influenced by our politicians. And that's really important for those legal rights and responsibilities to be upheld. And so, that, and so that's where the constitution comes into it. That's part that of what comes into yeah, it, right. yeah. But the separation of powers is really important. And so if you think about like if that was under threat, like imagine if our prime minister could just overturn the high court decisions. So there's power, there's legitimacy. And this is really important. We have uh, free and fair elections. And so our government, the people in parliament are legitimately elected. Um, And there's so much transparency around this in Australia, which is an indicator of a strong democracy. So in some places, um, there's no transparency, you know, elections are not regular. For example... Uh, there, I don't know. Like, there's, no, but like, oh, what yeah. would it be where you say not transparent? Or what does so that mean? Not transparent would be, um, you don't know if the votes, who's counting the votes, if the, you know, you. Right. Cause we've got a proper actual organization. Yeah, there's an that independent that, yeah. organization, the Australian Electoral Commission. There's a whole lot of processes around that that protect people's votes. Right. Um, and there's processes around that to make sure that people can't meddle in that and okay. that kind of thing. And not all systems have this. So, 
having that legitimate, transparent support. And, you know, no one can just be a rich person and be like, I want to be a parliamentarian. You have to get elected. You have right. to run. Yeah. And so there's legitimacy in how our government is formed. Um, that's not always the case in other countries. Mm-hmm. Or in, so I guess a commun- like a, a dictatorship where the person just elects themselves as the leader of the country is an example of and where they don't hold elections but they still call that they have a democracy no no they so don't. that's not okay. a democracy yeah right and so that's another kind of really important pillar of democracy is having elections and electing popularly electing our leaders mm-hmm. another pillar is justice for all so and i love this because this is so much about everyday people's rights being protected you know it's not just rich, wealthy, white men who were the, originally the only people that could vote when democracy was created. Was it really? Yeah, yeah. So in Australia or in general? In, in Greece. Okay. Um, so originally it was it was meant to be the power of the people but actually only the <laughs> certain few people. But so this is why, you know, Australia was a leader and actually South Australia was a leader in giving women the right to vote and, of course, eventually giving everyone the right to vote and – access to voting, you know, in the state, like something that's great about Australia is that the election, there's weeks leading into the election when you can vote, but it's also held on a Saturday. So it's accessible to people. Um, in some places, they don't put it on a Saturday. So most people are working. So if you think about the people it's most insane. likely to be marginalized, who can't, who can't get off their work, probably people in casual, right. non-consistent employment. So they're more marginalized. So right. the idea that justice for all, we need to do our best to make, give equal access to power, that's one kind of pillar of democracy. And then the final one is freedom. So we have the, we, our rights and our responsibilities are protected. So you and I could have the freedom to get on a podcast and absolutely bag out our prime minister and the leader of the opposition. And as long as we're not um, doing something unlawful, we could put that out and we're not going to be punished for that. Right. Uh, in many countries, you have to do something way less severe than that to be, end up in jail. I'm saying right as if I, ha- I don't know this stuff. I do know it, but yeah. the way you've explained it really makes me understand. Firstly, the first feeling I had was I got a bit emotional inside and thought, how lucky are we? Like, think about all of these things that we've, that have been put in place over many, many years to protect the fact that we have a fair go here. And that makes me so proud. And secondly, I feel like even though all of these things, I guess I know, Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I understand, but when you put it into, I guess, a topic that you call democracy that's actually almost like a living organism. Like it is something that you need to have with a pulse, which is what we are. We're the pulse of it. It really makes you start to look at this whole system, but also the election, uh, the way that day-to-day things are ran really differently because people have put things in place to ensure that we, the public, run the show. So why is it do you think that we feel like we don't a lot of the time? So you've kind of pointed to it. Democracy is a system for it to work. We have to make it work. And the framework of democracy is the best system that we have come up with so far to give people equal rights to power and that kind of thing. But 
how that is implemented has varying degrees of success. So, for example, we might elect our politicians, but how accountable to us are they? Mm. And how much transparency on how they make the, their decisions is there? Mm. And, for example, we have um, a part of, you know, another kind of thing that falls out of these pillars of democracy is free and fair media, people's right to information that is unbiased. And so when, so for me, like, I agree, like you have a vibe of democracy and when you start thinking through the pillars, it gives you a bit of a reference point for when that might be being chipped away at. And for me, I think reducing public funding to free media, like public media, like the ABC and SBS and stuff, for me, that's chipping away at the things that help us have a strong democracy. Mm -hmm. And it's even more obvious when you look at really, really bad examples. So, for example- So, you're saying give more money to those things that have to have a bipartisan take. So, they can't really have an opinion, whereas a lot of other publications are allowed to have opinions. Oh, that's just one example. Like, I think the point is- Is that is, what you were saying? Yeah. Like, so yeah. If you look back to these pillars, how can we then- create, um, like implement them in a really a way that's conducive to upholding those things. Okay. And so, for example, um, campaign financing might be something that chips away at democracy. An example that's really public is Donald Trump has obviously tried to, has said a lot of things about firing, you know, the head of the FBI and like different legal like people in really high level legal positions in the States. And one of the key indicators of a threat to democracy is when people start to try and undermine these institutions that protect us. So right. the courts, media, the constitution, the constitution, as well. done that a few times where it's like, I'll oh, just change the law. Yeah. 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 yeah so yeah, if yeah, you yeah. start to try and undermine those things and undermine people's trust and faith in those institutions. So saying, Oh, all the media is fake news, for example, that's the first sign of chipping away at democracy. Well, it's like one way of measuring that. And so what we've seen in recent years in Australia, and this is a global trend is faith in democracy as a system of government is very, very low it's on the decline and especially amongst young Australians right. but I think the question is, is is it about democracy or is it about how it's being implemented and okay well back to the first the original question we had which is now that we've got a bit more of an idea of how it affects us and thinking about it as an its own I suppose I guess yeah like its own kind of living breathing mm. robot or machine mm. what what do you have to say about how how it's going to be affected by not only the way we're living today, but the way that we will continue to live in the future, which is incredibly fast paced, incredibly entitled. People have a gazillion opinions. Everybody now is news, not just the mm. news people that claim their news that yeah, give their everyone. opinions, every single person. Um, and everybody has the ability to share these kinds of videos that are often very uh, misleading or even at times completely incorrect. Mm. And it's just a really interesting time because with the, with all of those factors, does that mean democracy doesn't sit as strong as it once did without technology? Yeah, I think it's really, it is a really complex time. And this is sometimes why we switch off because it's a bit overwhelming. The system, I believe, can work, but we really do need to innovate how it's delivered. And for example, like you're saying, like the media moves so fast and we don't, can't trust different information sources and things like that. We need to develop regulations and systems and processes for protecting that and making it easier for people. You know, social change takes time and, 
things to get legislation through parliament and stuff, a lot of people feel really left out of that process. Like we go, okay, we vote for our MP and then we don't hear from them for three years. And from all intents and purposes, you know, I think climate change has been a really great example. It's far and above the single biggest issue that young people want to see action on. And you could probably apply that to the broader community. And that's not a certain segment of the community. And yet our, our major parties are barely like, doing anything to address it, you know, visibly. And this is my question on that, though. Are are a lot of people barely doing anything or do we not understand the way democracy works? Like, okay, we've we've understood that it is this machine, but Mm. how does it work day to day? Because I think an example you used when we were talking off air about marriage equality and a Mm. lot of people Mm. were looking at Penny Wong, who was the face of marriage equality. Why can't you make the change now? Like, Like, what is it that we're not understanding about the way democracy works in legislating policies? Sure. It takes time. And democracy isn't just about one person's opinion. It's about bringing lots of voices to that conversation and then ideally reaching consensus and some middle ground that you can then um, implement. And so there's a difference between being like, I, I want marriage equality and then saying, what's that going to look like in terms of law and where are the boundaries around that? And I think, you know, it must have been so hard for Penny Wong because as we know, she voted against a certain piece of legislation, but it wasn't that she was against marriage equality. It's that there's a whole lot of things. It might be that, and you see it with politicians all the time. Um, I think the Greens voted against something that was related to climate change once too. And I remember my brother calling me, me going, what's going on? But it's because they might not agree with how the proposed um, piece of legislation, how that's been set out, and they might want to make amendments to that. And that takes time and debate. So the, and the media, so the media te- like then tell that story as if they've voted no. Yeah, sometimes. Right. Yeah. So you've got to think, well, maybe they're pushing for um, amendments to that and there has to be negotiation that goes on. And there is a lot of politicking, like we're going to vote this way unless you guys move on this other piece of legislation and stuff like that. And on top of that, you have to bring the community along. You know, before this even hit parliament, like it probably got across the line because it reached a time in Australia where it was politically unviable not to pass it. And it took decades of grassroots campaigners. First, it would have been probably quite outrageous. And then over time, they built public support for it. And over time, public support grew to a level where it's politically unviable for them not to pass it. And that's a pretty big example. So social change takes time, but I think what needs to be done better and what people are feeling really disenfranchised with is that when clearly the public wants something and they're not acting on it, well, then what's the point of this system if they're not acting on it? Right. And so it takes uh, it takes people's interest levels. And I mean, well, how would you say that you as a, like a person listening that's got a particular, say it might be um, a particular women's health issue or mm-hmm. you've got a family member that's going through this and you want to be able to get forward something to do with mental health. I don't yeah. know. How, what would you suggest would be the thing to do to actually use that passion mm. f- and be productive about it rather than just venting about it on social media? Sure. So there's a few things. And 
Uh, I just want to say that our parties do need to do better representing our voices. There's very, very low like membership of uh, political parties. So this dynamic has shifted from, say, 50 years ago where people used to use that as a mechanism to make their voices heard. They'd be a member of a party and go to meetings and make their voice heard through that right. mechanism. Right, so like a club, essentially. Yeah, it's like a club, yeah, and right. people used to use that. But you didn't have to be in politics. No, you, you didn't just have to were... be. You were just a member of a party. Now some, I read this stat, like something like fewer than 2% of people are even a member. So the parties aren't actually representative of the electorate. So I think they've got some work to do. It's not a party if no one's there. Not exactly. <laughs> oh, love, did you practice uh, that one? Hey. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, like, so they need to do better. I'll preface it with that, absolutely. But there's a few things you can do. One, how many of us have complained on social media but actually haven't contacted our local member of parliament? See, there's a thing. I know that this we're mm. being told this and obviously mm. doing a lot of, I suppose, trying to help with some movement when I have my radio show, mm. a lot of guests would suggest contact your local MP, contact this person. What is the resistance there? You know, if there's something about – I've done it a couple of times yeah. and I've certainly emailed – um, a particular prime minister's office a lot. Um, but I, it was a weird thing to do. I, I'd mm. never done it before. It felt weird. So I think there's a few things like one, again, it's not culturally kind of what we're conditioned towards, but I think say you do it, they'll be like, yep, yep, yep. And you might get a generic letter back about mm. what they're doing. And then you kind of don't necessarily know what to say to them next. And how do you hold them accountable? Well, and, you don't. You just think yeah. that's your bit done and yeah. you don't know whether anything ever. So. This is why I think it's so exciting if you can like grasp, like you have a right to push them on that. And I think people don't necessarily realize that. I often work with young people who are like really passionate and I'll be like, you should contact your local MP. And they're like, oh, am I allowed to do that? I'm like, hell yeah, that's their job. And so you're allowed to push back and say, I don't accept your answer. I don't accept your position. Really? Cool. Yeah. A great way to do it is make work for me, bitch. (laughs) Yeah. That is legitimate. I would say the other thing is there's so many community groups that work on an issue to issue level and if you're feeling a bit daunted by it support them in some way because they do the day-to-day work in advocating to those politicians they collect the research they pre- present policy options to those how politicians. do you find those groups oh i mean like do a google be like um what would you google so if it was endometriosis i'd be like endometriosis Oh, endometriosis. Okay. So you Google for groups on the issue, it's on the topic, not you like care some about. student group that are getting together no, no. on the issue. Go for your issue, right. and, and if it is endometriosis, endoactive are right behind the change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but so I, right. like, but the thing is, is they do the day to day work ongoing. Okay, we're not just going to complain. Here's what we propose could be done better, and you can support them by signing a petition, or because that gives them, if they can go to a politician and say, well, we've got five thousand people, or even. 200 people in your area that have mm-hmm. said X, then that politician can take that forward into parliament. So we might not hear a lot about innovations in democracy, but there is one organization that's doing a lot of work around this called the New Democracy Foundation. And so we've invited Ian, who is their director, to come in and have a chat because they've been doing some work on proposing really practical, tangible reforms that our government could work towards to better involve citizens in decision making. Okay. Let's call Ian. Did you know? If it's a draw in a council election, do you know how they decide who wins? No. They put two ping pong balls into a bucket and draw it out. That's a lie. Nah, it's in the Queensland Local Government Electoral Act. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So we've got Ian Walker, the director of the New Democracy Foundation, on the line. We don't really get to talk about innovations in democracy very much, especially tangible things that we can do. So, Ian, we're looking to you to give us all of the hot tips on this. But what what even is the New Democracy Foundation? Sure. The New Democracy Foundation, in, in a really simple way, is, is established to set up trials of ways to do democracy better. Think of it that everyone seems to complain pretty much every day about how we do democracy, but no one actually says, here's an idea we can tr- we can test out and see if it generates a result which more of us trust, which more of us see as long-term and practical um, versus the way we make decisions today. What would be an example of we don't do democracy well? What would be an average person's example of that? I think every person listening and over 90% of people in Australia, if they pick up a newspaper or watch the news, are thinking, is that person in elected office saying what they really think or are they saying the thing that they think helps their party and helps them to get elected? <laughs> totally. Oh, my gosh, yes. yes. Yeah. So that's that for me is the starting point that, believe it or not, elections are actually an impairment on your judgment. If you had to make a good decision, and this can be in any area of your life. Imagine if you then had to justify it to a group of people who hadn't been paying a great deal of attention, you'd probably make a different decision. Mm. I think of it this way. I think most of us laugh at Americans for electing judges. You know, you've got judges saying, I convict everyone who comes through my court. And you're sitting there thinking, gee, I'd, I'd really like you just to be making a decision based on the evidence that's in front of you. So what's the difference? If we laugh at Americans for electing judges, why do we look at this as a, as a way of making decisions and go, but when it comes to spending $500 billion, we're happy with that process. Mm. That, that for us is, is, a big, is a really critical point. What are some practical things that we can do to innovate democracy? Because, you know, I think that's another thing why people feel so exhausted is there's everyone's talking about what's wrong, but there's not many solutions being put forward. So what would you say are some really practical things that we could trial to innovate and improve how democracy works? The, the number one thing I think we could trial is this idea of the jury model being extended to our uh, parliaments. So regardless of who wins the election that's coming up, um, they're probably going to want to do some pretty interesting things regarding tax laws. Imagine if I told you that whatever party that is, if their proposal actually got referred to a house of the people, 50 or 100 people we've picked at random, and they spent some time exploring it the same way the Senate does, but they're just a group of people with day jobs from all walks of life, all different ages, you know, blue collar, white collar, no collar. If that group of people could actually find common ground and say, actually, this package of reforms is fair enough, then I think that leads to a much more trusted public decision. And that's a reform that is really simple to trial. And we're going to know pretty quickly whether people actually look at this and say, oh, 
we made a better long-term decision there, that looks fair enough. I agree with you, but let's talk about that realistically because I know that when my uncle got his jury duty uh, slip in the in the post uh, probably a few months ago now, it was like he had received the news he had cancer. It was so <laughs> dramatic. It was like, I don't want to go to jury duty. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is there also the interest in it for this system to work? Because there is this interesting part of, I suppose, an attitude or behavioural thing, and I don't know if you've got any information on where this has come from, where we kind of think, and not me personally, but I, I know a lot of people think that they shouldn't have to do anything, but at the same time want their voice heard. What do you say to that and how do you think we can overcome that issue? It's a great question and I'm going to own up. I skipped duty, jury duty as well. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I nearly got fined for it, which would have been why would you a, guys want to skip? Because the decision doesn't have any impact on my life. Mm. So the really, you're absolutely right. Criminal juries uh, skew to lower demographics. Okay, they're people who are have a lot of spare time, so they may be on uh, disability pensions, retired, etc. But as a generalisation, people with jobs try to get out of it. Okay, mm. everyone. That is mm. an accepted phenomenon that juries, criminal juries, skew to slightly lower mm. demographics. We actually have the reverse problem: that juries on public policy issues tend to skew a little high, and that's not to say they're better. We're actually really focused on trying to get a representative group of people from all walks of life. Whether you're on a uh, public welfare benefit or you're in a very high income category, I just want people in that same proportion. Now. The benefit here is, believe there is actually a high degree of interest across all sorts of people to have a say. Now, the real reason most people don't today is this lovely phenomenon called rational ignorance. You know, Sky, Stacey, you're one sixteen millionth of a vote, so your mm-hmm. incentives are not to read the Henry Tax Review and get deeply informed mm-hmm. on taxation options. Too right. But <laughs> if I pick you as one of just 50 people and say in six months, your whatever you write will go to the floor of parliament and you'll get a response from the prime minister and the treasurer, I've just changed all your incentives to accept that invitation. So mm. I, I completely accept that I'm one of the people who tries to get out of jury duty. I just think if you've got an invitation on, a, on an issue of, that's of, of resonance to you, whether it's at local level or national level, then when people look at it, they'll make an informed choice to go, actually, that is worth my time. And, and every project we've run bears that out. Maybe we can also turn it into a reality TV show, <laughs> and so, like Gogglebox, but for, for Parliament. It is interesting, though, when you do say that that's the, I guess, the the kind of person that ends up at jury duty. I had a bit of a thought to myself and thought, imagine that even that as a minimum transferred to this government setup or this democracy uh, trial that you guys are putting forward or would like to see happen. How bad would that be that there would be a part of society that often feels like they don't have a voice be heard? I mean, those kinds of character tra- character uh, traits that you described or the demographics or the type of class system that are often going to jury duty, I don't see that necessarily as a bad thing about them speaking about things like, um, you know, w- like welfare or a Centrelink or um, disability pensions or, you know, those types of things, those types of issues. If it affects them, everybody has a right, right? Yeah, and, and when you think about what's one of the problems that we're solving, it's that most people look at our parliaments, and, and this is people on, you know, all the parties, and they don't see people like me, okay? And, and by that I mean they don't see people with the same challenges. They see people who are much older, much richer, 
and much wider. Yes. So the benefit of random selection is literally 100% of the time, I will get you a more representative group than an election will generate. Now, I'm not going to be an extremist here. We can still have elections. You know, that's great. And elect your government of the day. And what we're saying is, but let's additionally have just a small house of the people, 50 or 100 people. And if you start to get to the point where they review prospective laws of a government and they can find a point where 90% of them say, you know what, we had an opinion reaction like you do when you pick up the paper, but after studying this for a couple of months, this is actually fair enough. Well, this is fair enough if you make these three changes. Then I think we get out of the very confrontational approach that is quite rationally taken by political parties today. Um, Imagine if all our jobs were actually hanging on an opinion poll held every three years. We behave differently in the job. And that's actually the real challenge that all parliaments have, which is what we work to fix. I work in radio, so that is my job. (laughs) (laughs) And it changes your behaviour. It it actually does. You're right. Um, I think you've like... I mean, it's love the idea of citizens' juries and the idea that it could get way closer to consensus as opposed to this opinion poll polarising vibe. Um, you've also been working on a report to suggest some other reforms, and I think what you mentioned is really important, that when we look at the makeup of our parliament, it looks like a very, very small segment of society. So what are some of these other things, the recommendations you guys, uh, your team have come up with uh, that – to improve democracy and also what could be some really practical actions our listeners could take to start uh, giving democracy a workout and taking action themselves? Sure. Well, the of the other, of the you know, there's 15 things listed. Obviously, I've spent my time on my favourite one of the jury. One of the most interesting things we've seen, and it actually emerged from a citizen project, is this idea of candidate information packs actually being sent out before you face the, you know, the battle on Saturday morning. The AEC actually collects quite a lot of information about candidates, and there's a really specific dynamic we think will make a difference. Today, be under no illusions, money wins elections. If you disagree, pick up the phone and call Clive Palmer or take a look at his polling. Mm. Now, and a lot of billboards, a lot of billboards, and they're expensive. And they are it. expensive, yeah. Now, imagine a candidate information pack where, you know what, we're never going to change in any meaningful way that dynamic. Money will always win elections. And if you try to overregulate it, People with a lot of money and influence will, you know, set up third-party groups. They will, you know, buy their own media outlets. Um, GetUp is a pretty good example of something being put just beyond the reach of um, electoral laws with a nice amount of money flowing through it as well. So we look at this and say, what's a counterbalance to this? Picture that you got a candidate information pack and it actually said, here's the eight people who you could vote for for the House of Representatives. And it listed the amount of money they'd raised and the top three donors. Now, we think there might be a really interesting element where you, where you look at the person who raised $300,000 and you choose instead to vote for the person who only raised $3,000. And you see that's a really nice natural counterbalance by providing incentives for people not to raise a lot of money. We think that's a really interesting donation reform that will lead to a greater diversity of people in power. Not to mention, and it's not it's not just about the money, but also just on the absolute minimal uh, benefit of that is that you're getting information given to you about what your vote will mean. You know, it's just so much of a thing where people rock up on the day, haven't thought about it, get a handout if there's a particular party in line of where you're walking and 
you choose, you know. We're trying to encourage on this show that people do their prep, as Sky says, but the, the reality is a lot of people won't. And so even with that, those kinds of donor information, just information on what people are doing and how they're doing it would be a great beginning point. Absolutely. So it's a really simple reform we think can be done. But now you asked me a second part of the question around what action can your listeners take? And you'll be happy to know I'm a radical optimist on this front. You know, most people speak to politicians and they say, I want this, I want that, where's my free thing? Um, They send them form letters. And that's why a lot of people in elected office do tune out a bit because most things you put to them are for sort of self-interest and fit in the, well, you would say that, wouldn't you, category. Do you know what politicians never get asked? They don't get asked, hey, how do you think we can improve our democracy? Hey, what kind of innovation would you like to see trialled in our democracy? And that simple and positive approach of saying, hey, you know, I've got some ideas in this, I'm interested, actually saying I'd love to see you trying something new and I'd like to hear your views is so rare that you actually really get a candidate's or a representative's attention. So if I'm any of your interested listeners, I just encourage them to get in touch with whatever politicians they have an affinity for, any candidates, ask them a simple question. Hey, what are your ideas so that we can do democracy better and get a bit more trust in the system? If, if you find you have strong views about um, a particular one of the reforms, you know, in a happy world, one of the ones we've published and put out there, then by all means add that. But at a really simple level, just saying, hey, I'd like to see a process hopefully involving everyday people, not just politicians, that says how can we do democracy better and I'd really welcome that. You know, that'll, be, that'll make a real impression on that person and it doesn't take that many people doing it to make a real impact. Uh, in my travels, we do a bit of advocacy. And if an MP's heard that from just four or five different people and not in a formal way, just in a genuine way, it really starts to stick in their mind. Mm. I think that's so interesting. It only takes, you know, four or five people. I don't think we consider that often. And there's so many things that I want to ask you, um, but we're a little bit out of time. So, I think, But I, I must say, I think it's really refreshing to start the conversation from where the foundation starts. Mm. You know, I think so many of us really do think about the parts that we see shoved in our faces. And as we were saying earlier on in the show, Sky, about the um, politicians or the parties, and it's a big conversation about that. But, you know, we I don't think I realise just how powerful it could be to shift the conversation to our democracy and how it works and how we can use that to keep these people accountable. Mm. Um, so I really thank you for what you're doing. Yeah, it's amazing. And I'm going to put all of these recommendations up on our show notes. And if you have anything you'd like to add, you can send it through to me because there's so much great stuff that's going on that I think just people don't realise that's happening. Thank you. And uh, Stacey, Sky, thanks for taking an interest. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Ian. Bye. Did you know? So if a candidate gets more than 4% of the vote, they get $2.76 for every vote. And that's a whole lot of cash for their future campaigns. Even if they don't win? Yeah, for their future campaigns. Wow. I could make that. Should you consider running? (laughs) (laughs) How'd you find that, Stace? I actually feel incredibly refreshed. I don't know. There's something about the conversation, to be honest, when I was moving into this episode, I didn't really have that much interest and that's kind of why I'm here because when you say the word what is democracy or let's get involved in democracy, I'm like this just sounds so boring and so redundant to policy and politics and elections And but now I've kind of got an idea that if we don't have that 
foundational perspective working, A, we don't have all of the other parts, and B, we can use those foundations to make that stuff happen. And I don't think I really quite not only understood it but really felt that. I feel very passionate about the whole thing after listening to just everyone on this show. Yeah, I'm so excited. Do you reckon there's anything you're going to do differently now? Probably not. (laughs) But I think it's more about, not today, but I think it is more about the next time I do care about something, I've got the tools to follow through with it. And also maybe I'm more interested in reading things about what Ian's doing and understanding that I think it just starts with conversation for me. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm not going to be a political media advisor. Yeah. But I, I can talk about this with my friends. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that's so powerful. Lots of people think, you know, you need to be up at the front of marches and stuff. And actually, like, one of the single most powerful things you can do to create change, and it comes up in research all the time, is having conversations with people. And that's what I was saying. I, mm. I still I have them. So it's not yeah. different for me. Yeah. I have conversation, but I'm now more equipped to talk about other things. Yeah. So when you just cringe and you're like, what do you mean? <laughs> I didn't mean that nothing will change. It just means that I'll be having a different kind of conversation. Amazing. I love hearing that. And if you found this helpful and want to know more, we're going to put it all up in the show notes, including all those reforms. This I could have talked to him forever. This was my favorite topic. I'll put it all up there (laughs) in case you're a nerd like me and want to read all the cool reforms because they're exciting and you can go to your MP and suggest they implement them. Your nerd alert is just just coming out quite ecstatically. But it is an interesting conversation and you have, I hope today we have made it a little bit more sexy for you because there is something about the word democracy that for me seemed very bland and very not, I guess, what I got out of today's episode. Hurrah. Do you feel fitter? Uh, I do feel politically fitter, actually. Excellent. Yes. Uh, from the core, though. Okay, so we did some core muscle yes. training, some planking today. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> we really did. Um, please give us a subscribe. That is where you'll be able to find out when we drop the next episode, as well as a review um, and a rating, which helps us get this message out to a lot of people, because I really do think this information will be quite refreshing for a lot of us. And, and even if you're somebody that didn't think politics was for you or the conversation around things like democracy wasn't for you, that you'll be able to find your own information and use it accordingly with what fits for you. You might not have to be an activist, but again, you might be like me and it just changes your conversation a little and bit. And think about that subscribe as your way of paying it forward because think about how many people this election are feeling like, I don't even know where to begin. Mm. So if more people can have that toolkit to go, here's how I can make my voice heard, the better. Mm. Okay. We'll see you next time, guys. See you next week. Bijou Podcasts, the home of Taboo Conversations. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.